The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday. And since it's Friday, Duff McKagan has not missed one Friday. He always delivers the joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you. I'm in uh, Echo Park, California right now. You know, home of Hipsterville. Speaking of hipsters, you know uh, why the hipster didn't drink the coffee? It wasn't cool yet. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, that was a good one. I laughed out loud at that one. I love uh, Duff's description of where he is and what he's doing, and I love uh, the hipster uh, uh, accent. It wasn't cool yet. <laughs> Great surprise. Duff told a funny joke, and also Duff surprised fans that Slash's gig uh, here last week on Talk is Jericho 499. Slash played Los Angeles on Tuesday night. Duff got on stage with Slash, Miles Kennedy, and the conspirators at the Hollywood Palladium to perform It's So Easy. And Slash's son's band, Classic Act, opened the show. Uh, Slash, Miles, and the Conspirators are wrapping up a run of dates before Slash and Duff head out again with Guns N' Roses uh, in a couple weeks to do shows in the Philippines, Jakarta, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and for the first time ever, Honolulu. Hopefully they're working up more dates and maybe some new music in the future. Slash didn't rule that out when he was on Talk as Jericho last week. As a matter of fact, he kind of alluded to it. Check out the episode if you haven't yet. And um, I want to apologize for the audio issues that we had. Some people made some complaints about it and it was, uh, was there was some issues, but um, the reason for that is we're trying out a new contraption where I can um, record my show over the phone. And that is not slash calling me right now. So um, was still a, a work in progress and uh, made the audio a little bit uh, slushy, but we'll get it right. And still a great uh, interview. So go check that out and uh, get ready to check out what's uh, uh, happening on today's show. Nothing funny about it. It's actually quite creepy. Uh, we're heading to the swamps of the Louisiana Bayou with cryptozoologist MK Davis to talk about our search for the Honey Island Swamp Monster. This is a preview because uh, MK is the expert who filmed Chris Jericho hunting monsters with me for the Travel Channel, which debuts this Tuesday night on the Travel Channel, October 23rd, 10 Eastern, 9 Central. Uh, we're going to we're gonna talk all about the special today right here on Talk is Jericho, and then I need you to tune in as we went looking for the Honey Island Swamp Monster, the Rougarou uh, had encounters with voodoo priestesses, ghosts, paranormal activity. Some very strange stuff happened uh, as well uh, during that show shoot that uh, really really freaked me out it's not just another paranormal show it's chris jericho hunting monsters and we're going to talk to the cryptozoologist who accompanied me mk davis uh talking all about the honey island swamp monster bigfoot the rougarou and many many more here we go okay so we're here in uh new orleans in louisiana uh, searching the swamps for uh for swamp monsters and i'm here with cryptozoologist mk davis and uh, we've had a few adventures so far oh yes um and i guess kind of before we start talking about the, the various monsters in this area how does one become a cryptozoologist and explain exactly what a cryptozoologist is well i kind of backed into it uh-huh uh, I, I wasn't intending to become anything you know i i, I was uh, an astrophotographer i had a large telescope took space photos uh-huh. and i came across a couple of frames from the patterson bigfoot film mm-hmm. that were just incredibly clear 
And my experience with film was that you can't get photos like that from a a, a bad film. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what they showed on television was was grainy, shaky, couldn't tell anything about it. And, and this is the famous Bigfoot film where you can see the Bigfoot walking through the right, forest. Right, Filmed by Roger Patterson in the 60s? That is correct. Gotcha. So you're yeah. saying you watched it and you saw it very clear. Right. I, I was a couple of frames, and, and I, I noticed that the frames had been treated much the same way that you would treat uh, an astro photo. You know, when you're trying to get contrast and, 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 and rescue faint details. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I said to myself, I said, well, there's got to be a better version of this film out there. You know, uh, why, why is there controversy? It should tell its own story. And so I began an inquiry into, you know, who had the film, who had the copies and the frames, and, and it, it's lasted until this day. So, so let me just quickly, when you said you found, it a couple, you found a couple frames, a couple photos, were you just looking through a a pile no. of photos or somebody sent them to you and said check these out or uh, first thing i did was to to do some enhancements on those two frames but where, where did you find these two frames they were published on gotcha. the, on the okay. internet gotcha okay and so when i did that uh it got some attention mm-hmm. i got invited to come up and speak at this conference there in in uh oregon hillsborough oregon western bigfoot society and i went up there and i'd never even flown in an airplane Mm-hmm. You know, it was brand new for me, and I went up there, and uh, there was a man up there from Canada who had access to lots and lots of, of images from that film, hmm. some really good quality. He he got helped me get them, and I started there, and I began to accumulate frames from the film. And then, as it stands right now, I, I have the largest collection <laughs> Uh, of of good clear frames from the film and i've actually worked with a copy of the film for a couple of years to try and do what to try to what you do is you try to stabilize it because it's it's handheld and it's all over the screen and so what what i did was to 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 after after trying to correct some of the problems that the the frames had with lensing defects you know from having a relatively inexpensive camera there are things what they call like chromatic aberration where all the colors are not brought to a single focus and so you have a few of the colors of the spectrum that are blurry you know uh, overlaid in with all the rest and so you can take those out and all the rest are sharp Mm -hmm. and then you've boosted the sharpness of 10 or 15 20 percent and then when you add the cinematic effect of doing one after another after another the mind the mind will build images that's how movies work so the overall average in the mind goes way up mm-hmm. that's the cinematic effect so and i brought all everything to center like if 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 the, the creature was in the upper right i brought it to center if it was so in you the can upper, really see it visible right and, and you lined everything up and it's really really labor intensive and I'm even unsure about how much good I did with it, and it's the wee hours. But what are you night. seeing in these frames? Uh, what like, am I seeing? Yeah, like tell me what the creature is. Oh, uh, the creature is uh, an authentic Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's uh, it's not it's not just a belief. There's enough going on there. You you see uh, uh, biological movements and things like the muscles bulging, rippling, that type of thing. Uh, once you straighten it up and bring it to center, you can see those things. And, and what is, describe exactly what it looks like? Well, they call, they call it biomechanics. It, it's the same thing that you would go if you were went out and looked at people when they were doing their daily duties and they had their shirt off or whatever. You would see those same muscles, the scapula running up and down under the skin, that type of thing. That would be very, very difficult to accomplish with a suit especially of 1967 right, technology. Right. I, I've seen that, that film before, too, and it's the, the, the creature's it's very lithe and, and gliding when it's walking. It's got a very interesting gait to it that's human, but it's not human. You know what I mean? There's something to it that's different from just a normal person walking around. Well, this is what I've, I've been able to find out about things like that, and, and, and they, scientists tend to put things in perspective they they'll say maybe one person in a hundred thousand you know they always give you those ratios and there there are people 
who can walk like that. Okay, gotcha. You know, but they're rare. Mm -hmm. And then when you add the the bulk, uh, which this thing, the girth of this of this thing is, it's really tremendous. Uh, mm -hmm. I would put her weight at over a thousand pounds. Can you say it's female? Yeah, it's female. How, how, how tall is it? About between six five and six eight. And is it female because you can see breasts? Oh yeah, yeah. I've noticed that too. You know, uh, unless there's some other mm -hmm. some other uh, life form, you know, that that where both sexes carry that, mm -hmm. and that must be a female. So when you start, you, you mentioned you kind of fell into this, and you have these 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 stills, and then you go to the convention. Do people start coming to you? with different pictures and, and experiences because they're looking for somebody to talk to about it? Yes. Yeah, but basically, uh, uh, you know, the old adage, good help is hard to find. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, somebody takes a, a photo or takes a, a video, very rarely film now. They, the eye can see way more than the camera. So they, they're convinced that they saw a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch and they captured it, but it didn't turn out on that film as good. So they want someone to try to bring it up to that level of, a, of, of an actual what they saw. Mm -hmm. And they look for someone, and oftentimes they'll come to me. And, and I've also been approached with to work on several other iconic films, uh, the JFK assassination films, mm -hmm. the Bruder film, uh, the Orville Nix assassination film. So you're you're almost more of a, of a of a technical guy who knows how to harness these these images and kind of make them more clear. Well, it's it's I guess it's a meld of technical and then you know, it's 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 got a lot to do with some a little bit of insight. Knowing too. what to look for. Yeah, um, yeah, the mind is a kind of a funny thing because the mind and the eyes work together to form vision. Right. Everything that you're looking at around in this room here, you're seeing it upside down with your eyes mm -hmm. if your mind did not take those images and, and flip them around you couldn't function mm. and they actually did an experiment where they made a, gave a guy glasses that inverted everything and he couldn't do anything but he 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 agreed to wear them and after a while the mind re-inverted them mm. and so he could see with those glasses so, so, so let me ask you, so what, what are some of the other images that you've seen and some of the other films or pictures that you've seen of, of different creatures? Well, there's a video taken in, uh, in, uh, up in the mountains above Walla Walla, Washington by a Forest Service employee uh, named Paul Freeman. And uh, that's a really interesting video. What do you see in that? Well, it, it starts out, it's kind of a long video. It starts out with, he finds these tracks at a spring. And this is in a watershed, you know, they don't allow the public into because it provides public water for Walla Walla. And, but he, he, him being a, an employee, he was able to gain access to it. And he finds these different tracks. There's big tracks and then there's little nine-inch prints, which I brought copies of. Uh, and then as he m makes his way on up the ridge, and there's a very famous quotation uh, for students of, Sasquatch. He goes, oh, there it goes. He's talking to himself. He's alone, but he's talking to himself. Mm -hmm. And I, I've caught myself doing that when you're just alone. And uh, here this thing comes from right to left, but it's very it's very different looking than the Patterson subject. It's it's more of a, a lumbering. It doesn't has the smooth glide. It's up and mm -hmm. down. It's like it goes over a fulcrum and back down and and then it stops and just disappears. You can't see anything. Hmm. And he, he goes, oh, Jesus. And he takes the camera down because he lost it in the viewfinder. And then he, all of a sudden, it takes off walking again. It was, it was there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, it blended in so well. And, and, and then it, it goes on out of sight. And then he goes up there and tries to find it with the camera. He's kind of sweeping. And he does pick it up, and he's he's filming directly at its back. It's walking away. And then this thing reaches down and picks up a small one that you couldn't see, but when it picks it up, its legs are dangling. Like a baby or something? Oh, well, a child? Small. Yeah. It must have been the one with the nine-inch tracks. That's mm -hmm. that's the only thing I can figure. But it, it dangles, 
and then you see the head pop up above the shoulder. It's like picking it up on the left side, hmm. and the head comes up over here. And then he, he sweeps off of it for a second, goes back, and it's, can't find it again. Hmm. And uh, that's pretty much the end of it. There's some more, but he's just looking. Is anybody, is this something that you can see? Is it something you can watch on YouTube or something? I've never you, seen you that can, one before. You can, but you have to be careful because uh, for a number of years, different people put different quality versions mm -hmm. of it up. Mm -hmm. And finally, this this man, uh, Tom Powell, he had interviewed him and had a good tape, and he uploaded that to YouTube. And that's just typing there the raw footage. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty good stuff. And I, then I took that and frame by frame, uh, stabilized it hmm. and you're saying that's up kind of in the washington pacific northwest right the patterson film was in oklahoma no no it, patterson film was in northern california northern california yeah. so that region there is kind of where, where these two sightings were is there is there evidence of of, of creatures all across the country it pretty much is but they change in their description mm -hmm. the one that paul freeman videotaped that's in washington in washington was more brutish, you know, it, uh, if you looked at it and got a good look, you would be unsure whether you were looking at a person or whether you were looking at an ape. It, mm -hmm. it had the brutish face, uh, the brutish walk, lumbering walk. It had a complete coverage, more thorough coverage of hair. And the feet were very different. The, the track that it left behind was uh, not only large, uh, but the toes were like moved forward on the foot. Uh, they were spread apart like splayed and they had long toes. They, uh, Jeff Meldrum likes to call sausage toes. Mm -hmm. And the Patterson subject was more or less similar to our own feet, but larger and flat footed. Mm -hmm. So those differences are striking. Uh, I, a matter of fact, I gave a presentation on that, that the, the locomotion is different. But there's an explanation for that, but you could go into a, a lot of time talking about it. But mm -hmm. it's uh, it's same family though, same species. Oh, yeah, well, yes, yes. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk about the, the creature that we were looking for now, and yesterday was the Honey Island Swamp Monster. And tell me kind of your come-to-Jesus story, so to speak, on this creature, because at first... You didn't believe that it was true. And kind of explain a little bit of, of, of the legend and the lore behind it. Well, you know, it's, it's one thing to go to Northern California. That's an expedition. Mm. But when you got something four hours away from you, you can... Basically in your backyard. Right. You yeah. can make day trips there, you know, and, and I did. Uh, and I, I put a lot into it. I, I bought and, it. And what was the legend that you heard about the swamp monster? Oh, the, the swamp monster. I heard pretty much, uh, uh, if you've ever watched those old In Search of shows... They had a uh, one on the Swamp Monster. On and, the Honey Island Swamp Monster? Yes, they oh, did wow. with Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, I used to love that show. Uh, and <laughs> and they uh, interviewed uh, Dana's grandfather, Holland Ford. And now who was Holland Ford? Uh, well, he, he was Dana's grandfather, He but he he was also a uh, uh, air traffic controller here mm. in New Orleans. And when he got off work, he went hunting. I mean, he stayed in the woods. And he hunted everything there was to hunt. And they had a big camp there. They would go, you know, like during deer season and stay, you know, for long periods of time. So uh, he encountered this thing back in 1963. And him and his friend Billy Mills, who, who's still alive, he lives in Texas. They encountered it while they were packing all their stuff across to the camp. And if you w had went and saw the place now... You would you can kind of understand you know that that there's two Pearl Rivers the west and the east and it splits and makes an island and then off to the side there's a man-made canal and he had to get in order to get his camp you know his spies to camp he had to cross the man-made canal he had a boat there 
uh, or you could come in from the Pearl River either way and get there. Mm-hmm. But technically, it wasn't the island. Right. But that, that's what he was doing that day. And they, they said this thing just stood up. It was down all fours, and they weren't sure about what it was. And then it stood up and just looked at him. And he said it had huge amber eyes, long head hair that he considered to be more like a mane than just head hair. You know, it was out like right. this. And, uh, and the, the tracks that it left behind were just bizarre. And you saw the cast. I, I I have to agree. I mean, that's I've I've yet to come across anything. You know, they look like that. Three toes and kind of a little side toe halfway down, almost like a little claw or something. Like a vest vest vestigal. How do they say vestigal toe? Mm-hmm. Like something that you maybe used to be a toe, but it's right, shrank. right, right, right. And also, it was webbed too. I, I don't know so much about that because okay. the, the mud has kind of a, a funny effect. Can make yeah. it look that way. Yeah. Um, of course, I haven't seen the foot, so mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I, I've I've become a much more cautious person because of the Honey Island thing. Because uh, uh, after many many attempts to find you know the evidence myself, because you know we we all have that little bit of us that that says you know show me mm-hmm. you know, and I hadn't been shown yet, and and so. I met a friend went down there and we walked back to this spillway and there was some people fishing that had been coming there by boat. She said her uncle Ricky had a shoe and the honey island thing was all hooey, you know, it had but, a shoe that was made like a, right. It had a rubber honey island swamp monster foot on it. Oh, and it was definitely used for hoaxing. Right. But I published that when we got home, I published, we, we found the guy and he let us film it and, uh, and, uh, takes pictures of it. And uh, interestingly enough, his name was Holyfield, but not spelled the same. They were mm-hmm. no kid. And so once I published it, I became jaded. You know, I said, well, this, is, this has got to be the answer. There's, there either never was or never will be. Because in doing what you do, a lot of it is deciding who's telling the truth and who's full of it. It's a terrible position to be in. Right. Because, I, you know, that's the, that's the, the part of it that's not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Where you're, you're, you're the only guy to render some kind of a verdict on on evidence, mm-hmm. you know. And I have come to realize that I would rather be fooled a hundred times than to let a genuine piece of evidence slip through, right, or discredit, right, you know. So even though I I was jaded, any time I came down this way, if I had the time, I would swing back over there and go out to those haunts. And look around, and, and I did that, and I came across a couple of pieces of evidence that I recognized to be you know, Bigfoot or Sasquatch-type stuff. And one of them was a, a track in soft soft clay of exactly the same pattern that Harlan Ford's tracks were. Hmm. So I look at it, and I just had, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, like, you know, I've got to reevaluate things because i had actually gone on record as stating that, that you know there was nothing there and now here i am looking at and, uh, and this and this print is obviously not made by the rubber boot no no it, or whatever. it was it was much larger and also when i came there like i said i came there unannounced and i came there and i went off trail you know, I didn't stay on the normal gotcha. trails. So I know that no one set that up in any kind of way that it. I was looking at the Honey Island Swamp Monster track. And and, and logic tells you that if, if they can make a track, then they must be there. Right. You know. So uh, my, next, my next consideration was to how to go back and un, undo what I had done because you couldn't, I couldn't just leave it. Yeah, you kind of have, have, have sullied their name. Yeah, yeah. pretty much so. And uh, I learned a valuable lesson, and she's been very gracious. Dana has, you know, as far as uh, accepting my apologies for that. And and so now, you know, a lot of there's a lot of people try to put pressure on me. You know, you mean you tell me you think that's real? I said, well, not necessarily. I just don't condemn it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't I don't think all the information is in yet, mm-hmm. you know, and people get a little frustrated because 
we here in America want all of our mysteries solved in 60 Instantly, seconds. Right. 60 in, seconds or less. Instant gratification <laughs> yes. in 140 characters or less, right? Yeah. Yes. It's interesting because Dana, we keep mentioning her. She, she's one of the, the people that we talked to and worked with on, on this special that we're doing for the Travel Channel. And her grandfather passed away uh, in like 1980, I believe it is. And then she said that her grandmother found a film that they didn't even know it existed because I guess the grandfather is trying to protect the Honey on Swamp Monster from the mainstream. Have you seen that film? Uh, Dana's grandfather took. I, I've seen the YouTube posted version, gotcha, yeah. and it, it's pretty good. There's something in there. Oh, definitely so. And that's I, I looked at it frame by frame. I, I broke the video down and looked at it frame by frame, and and I, I created some what I call fades and blinks that allow you to just follow one plane of motion, because the, what we have trouble with. In a, in a film or video, especially if you enlarge it, is, is following all the different planes of motion mm -hmm. at once. And we tend to can't do that. You know, we have to drop one and pick some because he's, he's going this way and that way. And, and then the cameraman must maybe going a little bit like that. And, and maybe some movement left to right of the camera person you know that type of thing is hard to it makes it difficult. So that's why stabilization works real well. And I, I'll get I'll get something like that and I'll I'll take a frame from here, and I'll take a frame from over here, and rather than let let it go across, I just blink those two, and it creates a jump effect. So he jumps from one part to the other, and you can follow that so much better. You can see a little bit about what's going on there, and and it passed all the tests that I know how to give one. Mm. So you know I I can't condemn it. Mm -hmm. Now I don't know if everything's in on the film yet, but. I can't condemn it. It looks very impressive. Yeah. And the fact that he didn't uh, let anyone know that it even existed, I thought was very strange. It was kind of mixed in with other stuff he filmed, you know? Yeah. But I remember when I had my film camera, and it's, it's expensive, you know, expensive to buy the film and have it developed and, and then trouble to show it. So you tend to want to get everything on the film that you can without having any wasted space. And, and that's what I saw there. You know, he had this and that and the other, and then the Honey Island Monster, and then some other things, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's a banana spider yeah. or something right there. Tell, us, tell me about some of the evidence that you showed me yesterday, which I thought was really interesting, was uh, you had a couple you – you had the cast of the foot, but you also had some hair and a nail. So tell, tell me about the hair first. Well, you know, you, uh, you, you pick up things over time. People want to show you what they found. And, and uh, in this case of the nail, I was at a, a, a conference there in a little town called Hanobi, Oklahoma. And this man walks in, and he's got a little Ziploc bag. This man looks every bit like Jack Elam. <laughs> you know, the, the drunk doctor, act, the from, character uh, actor. I mean, he's cannibal just, run. He's just you know, guys coveralls and 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 hair going everywhere, and and didn't look like he'd had a bath in a long time. And uh, he go, goes around to other people, and he's showing them. And I watched him, and he made his way around to me, and he tells me the story, shows me it, and he says, "I got it off a dead Bigfoot." I said, "Oh, you did." He said, he said, how did you find a dead Bigfoot? He said, I found a Bigfoot grave. That's what he said. Hmm. So after we got through talking, he just sticks that bag up to me and said, it's yours. And when I took it out of his hand and looked at it, he left. He didn't even stay for the conference. He was gone. And so I, I ended up with not having, you know, to me, a satisfactory explanation for but i took it home and i look at it under the microscope and it had blood under the nail bed and it had uh chlorophyll green algae like and that kind of fit the description you know uh so I, rather than uh ra toss it you know or something like that i said i'm holding on to this because i don't know it's a big thick yellow nail and yeah, it's, it's about got that keratin you know yeah about look. half an inch long to an inch long something or like so. that yeah it, it's bigger than he said he got it off the finger but 
you know, it could be somebody's toenail. It's big. It's too big to be. A- well, if it's a toenail, like I said, I mean, I remember like I told you, my dad used to have yellow toes like that, but they weren't that long and that thick. Yeah, it's a hell of a toenail. If if I wonder if they, because is this not something you could go take to a a lab and and get the DNA tested or something like that? Well, I guess you could do that. Yeah, but uh, you know it's expensive to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're into this. If you had everything that you found or were shown tested, you wouldn't have any money to eat. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so I just kind of hung on to it, and you hope for a break on it in some mm. kind of way. You well, know? the algae is different, too. Like, so somebody's has algae in their feet that's not a good sign well this was under the bed of the nail yeah, so yeah. i mean that's where how would you get algae under there mm-hmm. i mean uh it fit the description of what he gave but a funny thing about that is that when he was asked where he was from because nobody knew him he said i was from the north pole or that's the way they took it and they laughed and said well ho 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 you know thanks thanks crazy. for the gift santa claus yeah you know uh so, but it as it turned out, the guy was from a little community in Oklahoma called North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> He's telling the truth. Well, you you see how quickly, quickly, the uh, you know you can misunderstand or misinterpret, mm-hmm. and and the the Bigfoot community, if it's fair to call it that, it they tend to be more sensitive to being taken in mm-hmm. than the average person. So that they'll dismiss first, ask questions later. And, and a lot of things just go by the wayside sometimes. Uh, a person that comes in and he has something like that and he, and he gets, you know, stiffed, they may not ever go bring anything else back ever mm-hmm. to any, any place. So, you know, it's, uh, you have to be kind of careful. And I suggested that they create a bureau to accept evidence from the public at large during these conferences because when people hear that the conference is coming, and they have something, they might want to just bring it with them. And so you have to have somebody that has an absolute regimen on behavior, how, how to accept it without any hurt feelings. Right. You know, uh, and, and, and then you, might, you may get something from John Q. Public that may surprise you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, now tell me more about the, the hair, the clump of hair that you showed me. Well, the clump of hair, well, there was a Bigfoot sighting, and the, the next day, this was found at where that sighting took place. And that's all I can really say about it. You, don't, you can't see where it was? Yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, some people don't want it to be known. Okay. I'd, I first examined it under a microscope. That's where it was, became an outstanding thing. You know, you look at it and you say, well, maybe, maybe not. It looks kind of unusual. But you put it under a microscope, and what what was going on with those ha- hair shafts was hard to believe. I mean, it it was it had clear, translucent shafts. Some were light-colored, some were dark, some were mottled, some were no color, just clear. But the the ones that were colored still were translucent. And the light coming from underneath the microscope would hit some of those hairs and come over here and just do a burst right over here, you know, when it reached a flaw in the shaft, like like uh, fiber optics. Hmm. And I got really curious after that, and I went back and examined the Patterson film, and I was able to find some places in the Patterson film where the, uh, she walked right by uh, an alder, which has got light-colored bark. And when she got to a certain angle, the, the, the tones off of that alder flooded her back. Hmm. And she became very blonde. And when she made her way across a couple, two or three frames later and cleared the alder, she went back dark again. Hmm. And that is unusual. That, that tells me something. Because... In the film, you're able to follow the movement and stay with it. But if if that Bigfoot had not been seen first and you just filmed out through there and it was just standing by that alder, you probably wouldn't see it because hmm. it's just nothing to make you make it jump out. So it's almost like kind of a chameleon type of a property that helps it blend in the woods better? I, I think so, uh, but a little less chameleon because chameleons use pigment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... 
this this is more or less uh, kind of a manipulation of available light, hmm. uh, and 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 it don't really form an image, but the tones, the color tones, tend to to bleed across the light colored ones. The dark ones have lesser effect, but but you go near something that's bright, and then there's another another clip from the Patterson film where she passes in front of some debris, flotsam and jetsam there on the floor of the sandbar. And when she gets real close to a, a piece of those alder trees that was just broken up and laying there, it's uh, her her leg almost brushes it. Her entire leg lights up like it like it was a flashlight. Hmm. And then, then when she passes it, it goes back dark again. So that, that and that's what you were seeing in that clump of hair that you showed me yesterday. Right. Right. Wow. So so that meant something to me there. And. So, so when when you have all these people kind of giving you, you know, this evidence and uh, you're seeing the film and all this sort of stuff, does it overwhelm you to, to know how many of these creatures there are, like all across America, or is it now you, is it your mission to let people know that this is a legit thing, or is it kind of more of a you mentioned kind of the Bigfoot community? Is it a secret just amongst the people who know? It's like this, you know. It, it's it, it when you think about. Enter all the data in. There's a, more of them than it, than are seen. Mm-hmm. I mean that's clear. Okay, so in order for for this many reports to be turned in, uh, you're gonna have X number that are hoaxes, X number that, but you know all the way down to the ones that are real, and you can't eliminate those. So they they indicate or imply that there's a, a widespread distribution of this phenomenon across not just the United States, but the world, but th- this, this ability to be not seen to, they have a culture of hiding where they freeze, they freeze. They, they can just stand beside something. That's, that's kind of a little lighter tone. If it's broad daylight and just freeze and you're probably not going to see them. Hmm. And so, you know, uh, that's what you kind of have to appreciate. That it's not like it, not everybody. It's not everybody seeing things. It's probably more like everybody not seeing things. Hmm. You know, um, and when when you do see one, it's some. It, it's the best time to see one is like right thirty minutes before dark or thirty minutes after daybreak, and when that light effect is not there. And, and after that, during the day, uh, you're less apt to see one. That's just like going yeah. fishing or anything yeah. like that. There's yeah. certain times of the day where it's better to go out. Yeah, it's it's so uh, you know being aware of that. All of that contribute to a you know an overall body of knowledge. You know that if you know that, and you're in how, looking. How often are you getting reports of, of sightings? Oh, uh, yeah, they, they, almost daily. I mean, really? Yeah, there there are people there are people who see Sasquatch in almost everything. It's, and they call that condition pareidolia. Oh, really? Pareidolia. It's an actual described condition where you see faces and familiar things in patterns. Hmm. And, of course, with the Bigfoot community, once they learned the word, it became, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> well, they just overused it. Yeah, yeah it became the uh, yeah, word Yeah, I, I call it pareidolia dolia that's where you think everything is pareidolia right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly <laughs> now no you're talking about being a cryptozoologist so to speak and um but it seems like you're dealing mostly with 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 bigfoot and those type of creatures the other other creatures that that you've kind of researched and looked into as well well if i'm a curious person and that's mm. what launched me into doing this in the first place so when i hear a report or i i, I see some things you know i don't i don't mind at all uh, pursuing, if I think there's a you know, reasonable chance. Give us some other examples of some of the creatures that you've pursued. Well, I mean, I, I've, found, I've come across tracks uh, in the high country there at Death Valley or surrounding Death Valley that were just weird. And they were big. And there, there in the northern Nevada, I came across a series of tracks that appeared to be bipedal, but they were 20 inches long and more blocky. You know, they look, I told my friend, I said, this looks like an elephant came through here. Hmm. And and it went, it went boom, 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 boom. And then it hit hard ground again. And uh, I don't know what that was. Hmm. You know, it was huge. 
there's no legend out there or any story that could collaborate with what it might, might have been? I don't know, but la- later on, uh, in that same area, there's a cave. It's called, uh, right now it's called Lovelock Cave. You can look it up. It's also known as the Cave of the Red-Haired Giants. And it's supposed to have been a place where the, uh, the Paiute Indians in ancient times, they were at war with these red-headed giants. They said they were cannibalistic. And that's the reason for the war mm-hmm. and that they had kind of holed up in this cave and they burned them out of there, burned them alive wow. in the cave. Uh, so I first went there and this, I found those tracks outside the cave, uh, you know, further, maybe a mile away. Right. And I went in there with my friend and the, the Bureau of Land Management had built a observation deck in there and they had raked up the bat guano, you know, to the center to make it fill it in and to make it level. And in doing so, they exposed part of the wall on one side. And there was a, a handprint on that wall. It was in the same type of, of, of stuff that you saw on the ceiling, this sooty from fires, you know, fat. Yeah, you could put your hand on, your thumb on it, and leave it for... 30 seconds and you would soften mm. from your body heat and they had it on their hand and they just put it like that on a rock and when they pulled it away they made the, these ridges down each finger you know like pulling taffy yeah uh and this thing was 18 inches wide mm. and uh that i have no explanation for but i told my friend i said let's go to mcdonald's i'll get on the wi-fi and let's publish this right now because this is a public cave and somebody's gonna come in here and see this you know and we saw it first so a big hand that's just huge handprint so i did that and I, I called a friend of mine in california and he made the trip out there he videotaped it and he uh, a friend of his he brought a friend to try to get um, a casting off of it because it was kind of semi-raised up off the rock and after that by november it was gone uh the the entire rock face had been cut off meaning don't know who did it hmm but it was it was thoroughly documented before they did it whoever did it they they didn't get to it in time right and i I took the photos that i took and i I met with the lovelock uh, paiutes there and I gave them photos, and I suggested that they try to get control of the cave mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, if, if they found anything else, they, it would be destroyed. Lock it up and let their people come in there and dig it out. Mm. So it's, it's, I don't know if that's even possible to do, but, right. you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it was a very sad thing to see, but there are things out there. Uh, whatever made those 20-inch tracks... That everything seemed to be oversized. The handprint, the twenty-inch tracks, that the desert, the high desert, is a is a very inhospitable place. It's like going to the moon, and things will last out there for years and years and years uh, if it don't get destroyed. Mm-hmm. So, I, the, the kind of things that I found, I found tracks in a salt marsh in Death Valley that were long and very ribbon thin, but they were clearly bipedal. It breaking through that salt crust and going down four or five inches this and one off into the marsh into the mud hmm. you know but it didn't look anything like bluff creek or 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 even the swamp monster huh so what else have you encountered if you're talking like i'm just throwing out some 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 creatures like chupacabras or some kind of lake monsters or some kind of you know uh mothman or is any of that sort of stuff come your way or is it mostly just the bigfoot and then whatever you're kind of discovering on your own well i've been asked to look at things you know uh, just see if i could improve the photo or improve uh the photos come with uh, defects and some of them are just lack of focus or something but everything appears to be out of focus if you blow it up mm-hmm so uh, that's that's what they call is angular uh resolution yeah uh when you have a like the, the, you draw a triangle between each side of a lens to your subject and measure the area and that's what you go by the wider the the lens the sharper the edges are going to be right so if you look at even the very best stuff now you get out your phone and look at the size of that at lens you know no matter how many megapixels it is 
it's not going to do but so much when you enlarge, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, if you really want to get that money shot, <laughs> you better have good equipment, you know. And, and they're not going to pose. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're going after whatever, you know, out there on the salt marshes or you're going uh, up, up to the Lovelock Cave or whatever made those 20-inch prints or, or Bluff Creek or, or Honey Island, you know, you, you got to have good stuff. But it's hard. Like, like a friend of mine just two to three days ago, he, he's uh, he's a guy named Dean Ambrose that, that, that we exchanged paranormal stories and supernatural stories. And he was in Vegas and saw something in the sky. And by the time he got his camera out and filmed it, he got it, but it was shaky and weird. And then for two seconds, he got something cool. And he's like, I can't believe how shitty this film is. But it's hard. Like, like you said, it's not going to pose. And to me, it's the equivalent of like if you were driving past a billboard on the highway and you want to take a picture of it. By the time you get your camera out and take it, it's gone or it's blurry or it's way too close. It's hard to get the, the great pictures and the great video footage of this type of stuff. Well, that's one of the arguments against the Patterson film early on was that he was looking for Bigfoot and, fil and filmed one. Mm -hmm. And that was against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. How can that be? But, right? Yeah, right. How can that be? It must be a hoax, you know. Um, but but the, the rare combination of the right equipment at the right time and the right conditions, it's, it, it does happen sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you do get a very, very compelling image. Have you seen some other good pictures that you've worked on? Uh, well, I've, I've worked on lots and lots of them what are some of the better ones that you can recall i've worked on one recently of taking up something in the swamps that appears to reach down and pick something up off the ground from out of a tree you know it, it appears to, to just go down but it, but it looks it looks like uh it's so smooth in the way it does it and that i i just kind of looked at it and I really don't know. And after I zoomed in on it and uh, kind of sped it up and oscillated the file, I saw the reflection of it in the water. Hmm. The tree was out in the swamp in the water. And I could see it go up the tree from the water. Hmm. So it, it almost certainly had to be there. You know, uh, it was really, really, really strange. You know. And was it, was it uh, a Bigfoot-type creature? Uh, it, it appeared to be. It had very long arms, and it looked like it was maybe getting some water and pulling it to its mouth, or either picking up something and pulling it up, up high like that. Mm -hmm. And it went up that tree, and got him behind another tree. And this is some film that you saw. It, it was videotape. It was taken with a phone. Wow, an iPhone. Because that's something we talked about yesterday when we were in the bayou searching for, for for the creature, and you were mentioning how don't just keep your eyes on the on the land and the water. Look up in the trees as well. Well, where, where, how many, how many worlds are you looking at? Mm -hmm. You know, you, we tend to want to look at our world. We're terrestrial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, terra firma is our world. Right. But the, there's so many other things that live differently. You know, and they can, they can. And is that something the Honey Island monster is, is is known for? Is climbing trees as well? Well, for instance, uh, you saw the, the amount of water there. Now, what what if it could get in the water like an alligator and just kind of stick its nose and mm -hmm. just get behind a tree and just have nose and eyes up or perhaps if it saw you coming go up that tree and get above the that canopy you know we were looking at yeah you couldn't see anything above the canopy mm -hmm. you know there were more it was more tree up there hmm. but you know that's those worlds that we have a hard time piercing because we know that this creature can swim too there's there's talk about it swimming in the river uh being in the, being hit by boats and that sort of stuff as well uh, well, I had it hurt, but 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 it didn't drown. <laughs> right. You know, it still it still. Because Dana it. said that her grandfather yeah. actually hit one with a boat. Yeah. Uh, and thought he had hit a person. Was calling out to that person, and the person just got to the other bank and just walked away. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably not a person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now there was something else you mentioned yesterday that was kind of interesting too. You're talking about kind of um, the the vibration or the sound that it makes. But we can't hear it. We just feel it. Talk about that. Uh, well, you, you got just kind of funny because uh, they've only recently come to appreciate that animals do make these low frequency sounds and, and what they will do to a person. Uh, you don't hear them with your ears, but you feel them with your whole body. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, they, they, can, they can generate things in a person like fear or confusion or nausea 
and and all of those things tend to muddy the water during the the heated part of an encounter you know where you're not really sure what you saw or what went on mm -hmm. you know uh and and that's been used uh elephants do it uh they first picked it up with elephants uh using specialized equipment it was uh they were doing something else and realized they were picking up sound hmm. and then they began to find it in a lot of other animals uh, like uh, jaguars jaguars can do it tigers can do it you heard tiger uh, well they can get way on down mm -hmm. and and but it has that same effect as that low growl you know you you look around and they don't know why you look around mm -hmm. and uh sound sound can be manipulated and distorted uh vision your actual vision can be distorted using using sound waves mm -hmm. because you know you can you can manipulate the air and when you shake the air if you hit the right frequency, then you, the the image you film there your image through that air, you know. So sure. uh, if you zoom in on something, bring it in from way out, you start to see the little heat monkeys and the little wave patterns and stuff. Uh, okay, but if you add a, add some infrasound in there, then you you're not getting a good image or it well, also makes i mean i remember going to concerts yeah. in the past where you would feel the bass the, the bass guitar in your chest and it was just like boom 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 and you can feel that in your body and it shakes you up a bit so it's the same kind of concept as the creature kind of emanating this noise that would make you feel differently well i had some audio that came from east texas and in in the video uh they had been habituating Bigfoot. They've right. been feeding Bigfoot, leaving food out in a ice chest on a picnic table. Well, in this one, they they had a camera mounted up there, and you can see the Bigfoot come out there. He pulls the ice chest down the picnic table because they that the camera had a, a constant IR light on it, and evidently it could see it mm -hmm. because it it pulled it out of that light. And it didn't even walk up to it. It it walked backwards to it. Hmm. It walked backwards just like this. And reached back there and got it and pulled it, slid it down the picnic table, spun it around and opened it. And it started to say two or three things. And I, I it said, uh, if I can remember, Enoch, yah, Enoch, yah. What was that? Was that was speaking a language? Uh, it sounded like it, but I didn't know what it meant. Right. Uh, but this it's is a Bigfoot creature. A Bigfoot creature, yeah. right? And it's it's another one that can't be seen. And they started co conversing. This, this is all filmed. Yeah, it's all wow. video. Yeah, and uh, it started to. Uh, it it ended up not taking anything out of there, mm -hmm. you know. But but it apparently could see the infra sound, infrared li light, but. When I sent the audio to a, an expert there in in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, he sent me back that some of that sound went into the infrasound, and it sounded like a record skipping. You know, it, you know when he went down below, it uh, it you lost it, you couldn't hear it, hmm. but he 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 changed the pitch enough to where he could get it up where you could hear it, and uh, that was the first time I ever even knew that there was the poss about the possibilities of infrasound. Hmm. So I could only theorize that this was something big enough with enough power that it could get down the, those low really low frequencies. But he did tell me that infrasound will propagate along the ground and will travel as far as 25 miles, hmm. you know, without a severe, you know, diminishment. So wow. if, if, if you could do that, Mm -hmm. Another Bigfoot could hear you or feel you mm -hmm. way the heck out there, you know, all, all of those possibilities have come to light, you know, with by steadily adding pieces of knowledge into the puzzle, you know. So, so as, as we wind down here, MK, I just want to ask you a couple of things it seems pretty obvious but just to kind of clarify so when we're talking about about the bigfoot it's not so much that there's one i mean it would seem that where there would be you know a race of fa families of them uh in 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 you know in some of these areas and i flew over these swamps for example and it is expansive it's miles and miles and miles and miles of just water and trees and if something didn't want to be found you'd never find it but how many of these creatures do you think there are out there? 
Well, the, the, biologically, just if you're just discounting the paranormal and you're thinking on long terms of biology, there has to be enough diversity to keep keep from becoming inbred. Mm-hmm. You know, so that you you know that there's enough to to make new ones, mm-hmm. to make baby ones. Well, you mentioned before yeah. there was a small one in one of these yeah. films, so uh, it's, it it happens. But but still, you know, they are there, and we are here, and we look at them through these little keyholes that we call video. You know, we're only getting a little peephole look, and we we don't we don't know or have enough knowledge to draw concrete conclusions. Uh, we we think we think that this must be the case, but. You know, until we get something to study that we can, you know, say, you know, we verify that this, this is what it is, you know, we're we're still where we were. Because what do you think the the creatures are? There's a lot of people that argue that they're part human or that they are human in some manner. They're clearly not us. Uh, even the most human looking one, like Patty. Patty of, Patty of the Patterson family. Gotcha. They 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 call, call her, her Patty. Patty. Yeah. yeah. There's so many Pats and Patties involved <laughs> in that. Roger Patterson's widow was Patricia. Okay. <laughs> She's about Patty the Yeah, yeah uh, but but it's it's clear and and I've gone I found a set of tracks on that very same sandbar that were 4 inches deep and you could not even stomp a dent in it. If this was that sand had set up over the summer and it hadn't rained and for that to put that kind of a a dent it had to be tremendously heavy the most outstanding thing about a bigfoot is is less its size and more of its weight mm-hmm. or its mass a cubic inch of sasquatch flesh will weigh double what a cubic inch of human flesh weighs hmm. so even though they have our tools and they look similar to us they can't be us and, and so they they must be something of the nature of what they they find occasionally in a skull in uh, Old Duval Gorge or, or the Great Rift Valley, you know, with the heavy brow ridges and stuff. They're not us, but that human-like uh, construction is there, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm here to tell you that you wouldn't want a Sasquatch to step on your foot because mm-hmm. it would crush every bone in your foot. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I guess the biggest thing for me, like, and... and, and once again, if you're talking about the Pacific Northwest, the Rocky Mountains, I mean, there's so much undiscovered territory. It just seems like you mentioned the guy found a Sasquatch grave. Like, I would feel that we would find more remains of these things unless, what, they go bury themselves and they're going to die? Or do they just disappear? Or what do you think? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know about that, why there's not more of it. It's hard to find animal bones anyway. I mean, you can do occasionally, but it's, it's hard. Because they deteriorate so rapidly, if you, especially if you're in an acidic environment, because that calcium in the bones just go away, mm-hmm. dissolve under acid. I really don't know, you know, the, the the particulars. It may be maybe cultural. Maybe they do bury their dead. Maybe they eat their dead. I don't. I don't know. Some somebody somewhere, they have found things. Now they have what they found the minaret skull in California. Uh, people were on a Boy Scout expedition. And they had pack mules, and the mules kicked this skull up out of a bog. You know, they crossed in the bog, it just flipped it up. And it was every, it probably was a Bigfoot skull. And you can find some, some rather, you know, low quality images of it on the net, but it has since disappeared. Hmm. It, it was taken to a museum, and it's not at the museum, and they say they never had it. It's amazing how that seems to happen quite often. I've seen it happen. Uh, I've got pictures that a friend of mine took in the Humboldt Museum in, in Nevada, in Winnemucca, Nevada, down in the basement, because that lady liked him, uh, the, the lady that was the uh, curator. And he took her down there and let him see the too hot for display th- stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was a big, huge skull that came out of a little flock cave. And, and it, it had double rows of teeth on the top. The bottom was just overcrowded, but the top was double rows. And it was twice the size of a regular skull. Uh, the eye sockets were gigantic. And he had the back guano stains all over it. And uh, he took pictures because she did not know he had a camera. He had uh, those little disposable cameras mm-hmm. in his pocket. And he found them uh, after a move he made. And I was able to talk him into sending them to me. 
and he sent them to me, and I've ha- I have them now in a safe, but they now deny that that skull was ever there. But you have pictures of it. I have pictures of it. In, in, you can see it's in the Humboldt Museum. But he said, we, we don't never had a skull like that. We don't know what. People say there's giant skulls in here. This is just regular Paiute skulls, and they'll show you a regular Paiute skull. You know, that, that's what you run into. And so somebody doesn't want us to know about these things. Somebody, a- somebody somewhere, because the last time I went there, they had put the, the original curator in an old folks home in las vegas another lady was running she was extremely hostile she had literature drawn up saying no red hair giants and a circle around it with a x mark across it and she got hot mad and chewed us out cut the lights off all the displays and finally we left and i guess she must have heard me and don say we were going to go out looking for other caves because when it got dark and we were out there looking for caves we saw lights coming and somebody with a flat a Q-beam, and they were sweeping across there. And I had pulled my Jeep into a sink, and I was below ground level, and that beam kept going right over the Jeep. And they drove on by. They never saw us. But somebody was looking for looking us. Looking for you. Yeah. Dangerous stuff, man. It, well, I was <laughs> glad to get out of there. <laughs> what's, so what's your overall goal? Last question. Like, what do, you, do you want to keep searching for these creatures and uh, continue to tell the world about their existence? I think that anything that, that's factual, that's there, needs to be known. You know, it, it, we, we have enough in our world every day, you know, that, that occupies our time and tends to make things mundane. You know, when the world is so much more than that. So uh, I think that anything that involves the earth and man on the earth and our collective adventure and journey needs to there needs to be knowledge of it. It needs to be disseminated. This is covering things up. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And I don't think I would have believed it had I not seen it myself. You know, why would anyone want to cover a giant skull up I, people want to see it they should have it and people coming in and buying tickets to see it mm-hmm. you know not so interesting stuff man well thank you so much brother it's sure. good talking thank to you. you appreciate it all right thanks to mk davis you can see he and i hunting the swamps of the louisiana bayou in search of the honey island swamp monster the rugaru voodoo priestesses a ghost paranormal activity it's all happening this tuesday night on chris jericho hunting monsters on the travel channel 10 p.m eastern 9 p.m central i want you to go check this out like i said some really strange things happened to me there um as as a human being as an animal my animal instinct kicked in at one point and i was just it was screaming to me inside get out get the hell out of here Uh, This is not cool. You don't want to be here. And I felt like I had just gotten off a roller coaster, like my insides were all shaken up. Some very creepy experiences, very legit, uh, very entertaining. It's going to make a very uh, killer, uh, no pun intended, Halloween special. Go check it out. Chris Jericho, Hunting Monsters, premiering 10 uh, Eastern, like I said, on the Travel Channel, October 23rd, this Tuesday. And can you believe we're only a week away from Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea? After three years of work, it's here. We are setting sail next Saturday, October 27th. If you're booked, it's going to be a blast. Listen, if you woke up today with a wild hair up your behind, you want to treat yourself to a cruise, there's still some cabins available. ChrisJerichoCruise.com. You still got time. You got all next week up until probably Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. So if you're thinking about it, don't sit on the fence. You're not going to want to miss this. Uh, it's going to it's going to be a part of history the first ever listen if you can't make it though if you do make it you're going to see the biggest main event of the year uh the alpha club versus the bullet club the bucks of jericho or is it y2 jackson versus kenny omega marty Skrull, cody rhodes if you can't make it on the ship uh i'll tell you what's going to happen you can see that match and the entire sea of honor tournament on fight tv it's called streaming for vengeance the pay-per-view event november 3rd at 8 p.m easter order it now at fight tv or the fight tv app that's fight.tv or 
pre-order Streaming for Vengeance. It's the only way you're going to see any of these matches unless you're actually on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Remember, the first round of the Sea of Honor tournament has been bracketed, bracket A. Dalton Castle versus Matt Taven. Chris Daniels versus Delirious. Marty Skrull versus Rhett Titus. Silas Young versus Flip Gordon. Bracket B, Mark Briscoe versus Will Ferrara. Adam Page versus Frankie Kazarian. Cheeseburger versus the Beer City Bruiser. And Jay Briscoe versus Kenny King. And this is going to be a tournament. Uh, and the winner will get a, a Ring of Honor world title shot. And all of those matches and all of the, the, the final matches, along with the biggest main event of the year, Alpha Club versus Bullet Club, will be streaming for Vengeance. Fight TV and the Fight TV app, November 3rd at 8 p.m. Pre-order now at fight.tv. Okay, it's the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling at Rager at Sea. We've been talking about it so much. We've been promoting it so much. I want to tell you the whole story behind it. Coming up on Wednesday, it's more Jack Slade said no one ever except there will be more 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 jack slade on talk is jericho as jack and i tell the entire story the entire history behind the uh, creation and now uh, execution of chris jericho's rock and wrestling rager at sea you'll hear exactly what it took to make the cruise happen all the obstacles we had to overcome to actually set sail next saturday october 27th we even lost the ship at one point we wait to hear that story we lost some talent some people came some people went a lot of things had to be figured out and worked on jack is going to lead us all through it as we do chris jericho Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager behind the scenes. You get it? S E A N E S, or we're going to spell it. Behind the scenes. If you're going on the Jericho Cruise, you're going to want to hear the story behind it. If you're not going, you're still going to want to hear this. Uh, and I'm telling you right now, like I said, check it out. Uh, either buy that last minute cabin at ChrisJerichoCruise.com or pre order fight.tv, streaming for vengeance. All of those great things happening. And don't forget, next Tuesday, uh, Chris Jericho, Hunting Monsters. I'm telling you, it's a creepy, creepy show. So be cool. It's the weekend. Uh, we'll see you next week. In the meantime, and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. And remember, beware the Honey Island Swamp Monster. <laughs> Travel Channel, 8 p.m., Chris Jericho, Hunting Monsters. We'll see you next week. Oh, yeah.